Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we are in episode 132. My name is Tyler. Of course you got Pratik and Nick here as always. Today we're going to be kicking it off right with DeSantis. So Pratik, take it off. Can DeSantis deliver a great American comeback? In a major announcement, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has officially declared his candidacy for the Republican nomination for president. DeSantis, known for his divisive policies, filed paperwork with the Federal Election Commission and rolled out a campaign video highlighting his accomplishments as governor. However, his campaign event on Twitter with Elon Musk was plagued by technical glitches. Despite the setbacks, DeSantis took jabs at the media, COVID mandates, and what he called the woke Olympics of the left. The slogan for his candidacy is leader great American comeback. DeSantis, who won re-election by a wide margin, has established a significant presence on the hard right of the Republican Party. However, he faces challenges in securing support from influential donors and dealing with legal problems and controversies. His battle with Disney over LGBTQ plus education has damaged his standing with pro-business Republicans. Critics argue that DeSantis has moved far too right to appeal to general election voters, potentially hindering his chances of winning the Republican nomination. As the 2024 presidential campaign begins, DeSantis seeks to position himself as a viable alternative to Donald Trump. With his hardline agenda in control of the state legislature, he aims to appeal to the party's base. However, concerns about his interpersonal skills, conflicts with major companies like Disney, and legal issues loom over his campaign. Democrats, political observers, and pollsters question his ability to appeal to a broader electorate to the general election. All eyes will be on DeSantis as he navigates these challenges and vies for the Republican nomination. So, Nick and Tyler, what are your thoughts on DeSantimonious, a.k.a. Ron DeSantis? Well, of course, we touched on this last week when we said he all about announced his campaign and he officially did it on Twitter. There were some glitches with the, the launch. I didn't have a chance to catch it. Nick, did you have a chance to catch it? Did you see any glitches on the, tw the Twitter thing? When I rewatched it on Twitter spaces, it didn't seem to go off well. Elon had to restart things because he was he tried doing it on his account. And apparently Twitter is not set up for Elon's account. So he had to do it from someone else's <laughs> account to try to run it. But yeah, it was pretty poorly launched. We all saw the articles about it, making fun of it. Yeah, this was not a professional event. And it, if anything, like it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, the articles I saw basically said Twitter Spaces wasn't able to hold the 500,000 people it had on it. And when they restarted, they only had half the viewership, which is kind of disappointing. But Ron DeSantis, like I said, we knew he was going to announce here. Personally, the problem I have with DeSantis is all of his efforts are focused on this culture at war. And we were just talking about this before the show, me and Pratik. And it's like, when you're focusing everything specifically on the culture war... That's not necessarily what I want to see from my policy, uh, politician. I want to see some legislative action apart from that. I want to see what you can do outside of simply pandering to the woke base. And that's all I've seen him do. So we knew this was going to occur. This is the big challenge here this year. We have the, on the Republican side, we have Trump versus DeSantis. Who's going to win? Who is the woke Jesus? Who is more woke Jesus than the other? I, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people supporting DeSantis, but of course, Trump has such a strong fandom. It's going to be tough to get over some of those really zealous supporters he has. Um, so that's all I have for now. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts? Well, let's go to Pratik here, because Pratik, you're the Republican. I want to hear, like, who do you who would you prefer, honestly, at this point, DeSantis or Trump? So I fall into that scope of people that's in the pro-business Republicans. So my thought process is just that I really don't like the fact that DeSantis only talks about culture war stuff, only talks about woke stuff, and that whole saga that he's fighting over. My personal belief is that any business doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's Disney, doesn't matter if it's some conservative company like MyPillow, doesn't matter if it's like Fox News, any type of business. I do think that they need to have some form of free speech. So that means that they should be allowed to put out whatever content that they want to put out. So if Disney wants to put out movies that are showing all this woke stuff and showing gay people kissing, that's their call. You I mean Disney has the ability to do that. They're they're the ones spending their millions of dollars to make their movie and they're the ones paying for all their casting and all their production stuff. All they're doing with um, Ron DeSantis in Florida is they're paying a small portion of that to taxes. But my point is, is that that, in my opinion, is much more important as a business person, is that we need to have free speech to, to be able to decide what we want to do. doesn't matter if it's more conservative or if it's more liberal or if it's supporting some cause or it's going against, like, you know, what a majority of the people believe. 
The thing is that that all comes into the consequences of whatever you put out. If your business puts out some anti, it puts out some homophobic thing or puts out something that is like, you know, goes against some people's like national religion or culture or every, anything like that, then that will come back and bite you. But the point is that you should have the right and the freedom of speech to decide what you want to do. And the main reason I'm bringing that stuff up is Ron, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, even if that you would argue that the woke crowd is pretty split, even then, Donald Trump has come out time and time again supporting Disney against Ron DeSantis. Even recently, as of April, he went out and came on TV saying that Ron DeSantis is wrong because Disney should have the free speech rights to be able to put out whatever they want to. And Ron DeSantis doesn't know how to work with business because, you know, Donald Trump does what Donald Trump does. But I think that's a big differentiator between them because I don't really know anything else about Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis, all he talks about is the culture war stuff and all he talks about is that he wants to go, he wants to create a new culture that isn't woke. Well, in that process, you are alienating other groups of people by not doing anything to win those groups of people. And I do think he is losing a lot of business people that would otherwise vote for him. Like, if you ask me as a Republican, like, yeah, sure, I'm like a little bit more liberal on some of these other issues. But in the end of the day, I'm still a loyal Republican. I voted Republican for the last four elections. So to me, I would argue that like in the end of the day, when you when you support any of these people, like I just want to make sure that they're advocating for pro-business issues. And when Ron DeSantis doesn't do that, it makes me not want to support Ron DeSantis, even if I do think that Ron DeSantis can actually beat Joe Biden and Donald Trump can't. That's just my logic behind all that. Well, and speaking of the criticisms of DeSantis... Um, can you tell us a bit about how DeSantis criticizes Trump? Because we've talked a bit the past couple of weeks on the show about basically like what does DeSantis need to do for Trump? And I think like you were saying, he has a chance of winning and he can clearly point to Donald Trump and say that Trump is going to lose if he runs again. Vote for me. Like I'm Ron DeSantis. I'm going to win the White House. Like we're going to get there. He even had something on his website saying that Republicans have to get get away from these old ideas and this culture of losing in the Republican Party, which is like clearly a jab at Donald Trump. Like that is not directed towards anyone else, I don't think. So yeah. uh, Pratik, do you want to take us into just uh, his recent radio interview where he actually ended up criticizing the former President Trump? So the headline is DeSantis throws punches at Trump as the war of wor words begin. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has intensified his criticism of former President Donald Trump, accusing him of shifting to the left. Speaking with conservative radio host Matt Murphy, as Nick was referring to, DeSantis expressed his concerns that Trump's campaign is deviating from conservative values and embracing more liberal ideologies. DeSantis emphasized the importance of standing for bold policies and criticized Trump for allegedly moving left on fiscal and cultural issues, including siding with Disney against him. DeSantis criticized Trump's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, blaming him for the negative impact on people's lives by relying on Dr. Anthony Fauci. He highlighted Florida's approach of keeping schools open and supporting businesses, contrasting it with the national response under Trump. Trump, on the other hand, intensified his attacks on DeSantis, referring to his presidential campaign as a disaster and predicting that his entire campaign would be a failure. Despite the verbal sparring, Trump maintains a substantial lead in the polls for the Republican nomination, with recent surveys showing him ahead of DeSantis by significant margins. So that's my sum. So what do you, you know what's so funny about that, that stuff to me is yeah. the fact that for Trump, it's like when DeSantis had the Twitter spaces malfunction, Trump put on Truth Social, which is Trump's social media network. He spoofed, or I guess a fan of his spoofed and Trump reposted. It was a call with DeSantis, Elon Adolf Hitler, the devil, a few other people, and he had like a whole fake conversation, uh, sort of parodying, uh, parodying DeSantis's uh, Twitter Spaces announcements. So like it's already starting off where like he's literally throwing Hitler and the devil <laughs> into DeSantis's Twitter Space <laughs> as a joke. So like he's gonna come out swinging. He's gonna hit hard. And as you were reading the story, like when I heard DeSantis criticizing Trump. My brain was like, okay, whatever, like, this is politics. When when you started saying what Trump was saying about DeSantis, like, I laughed. Like, I actually thought that that was kind of hilarious. Like, it, it brings me back to it. But um, I do want to get Tyler here as well. Tyler, what are your thoughts? So, really good point there. And, and just thinking about this, we underestimate 
the meme potential and power of Trump's fandom specifically. I don't think DeSantis has near the amount of people that are able to generate these sorts of viral memes as Trump did. Because like going back to 2016, I remember being on the Donald Trump Reddit, uh, the amount of memes you would see from there, even if you didn't like Trump, you would go there and just laugh and be captivated by this figure that was just crashing into politics. He has those kinds of supporters. And now we're getting to a place where you have AI, we have voice generation, we can fake videos like this. Trump's base is going to capitalize on that. And I actually previously hadn't really thought about the power of that, but now I'm starting to think that might actually be a huge boon to Trump. And that's how he keeps attention, by being funny. Nick does not like Trump, but guess what? He found that really funny. And I like, think he's funny, look, unfortunately. Yeah, the, I think he's hilarious. At the end of the day, it, that's not what makes a good politician or a leader, but it makes someone electable because they're likable. And a lot of people want that from their, their leader. And that's what we're seeing with Trump and his fandom. So... Look, that that could be actually be a real boost for Trump. And DeSantis is like, the, the what is Trump's fandom? The pro-business people. What do the pro-business people do? They do businesses. So that means that they're the ones coming up with these ideas. They're the ones coming up with these memes. They're the ones coming up with these new like strategies to make him stand out. DeSantis is alienating those people. And like, you know, DeSantis is like trying to support the old people that aren't going to do nothing. He's he's also anti-establishment, Trump. So he's pro-business, but he's yeah. also anti-establishment. He almost gets to play both sides. It's kind yeah. of unfair where he's establishment when he wants to be, but he's anti-establishment <laughs> because he was in business his whole life. And he's not a politician. He was president for a few years, but he's not a politician. He's a man of the people. Well, that's one thing that's funny to me about Ron DeSantis is that this is a guy who went to Harvard Law School, which is like the elite of the elite institution, right? And at the same time, he's like, oh, I hate elites. Like, I am the common man. Like, you should vote Doesn't for me sense. because I grew up, you know, in a regular middle class or lower uh, income household. And I'm just a regular guy. And it's like, the second you go to Harvard Law School, you are no longer just a regular average Joe. And then he was in JAG, which is um, a prestigious military. part of the military. If you're doing the legal profession, JAG is seen as like a very prestigious thing that it's you like do. It's like a military so, court. And then he stuff. was in Congress. So like, don't tell me that this guy is like not an elite in some way. Like he has been in Congress. He went to Harvard Law School. He was in JAG. Like nothing about him says he's a normal guy. But he's still going to play that up and sell it as, oh, I'm just this normal guy from Florida. I played baseball. I'm Ron DeSantis. Vote for me. Like, I'm just like anyone else. Um, and Pratik, I see you want to make a point. But uh, very briefly, I wanted to say for DeSantis, when you actually look at his campaign website, he's not unique compared to Trump. A lot of the Republicans are saying the same thing, which is that they want to be tough on immigration. They want to do something about fentanyl. They want to do something about competition with China. They think that Joe Biden is weak. They think that he's old. They think that he's sleepy. And it's all about like giving, getting government off the backs of ordinary working class Americans. And like also anti-deep state, all that stuff. Like that is not different from Trump. DeSantis isn't original. And I think because DeSantis is not original, it's like he would do really well if Trump wasn't there. Right. If you didn't have someone else who had the exact same ideas, maybe you would do well. But like when we looked at Tim Scott last week, when we look at DeSantis, when we look at Trump, like they're not different in terms of policies. And you need an extra flair at that point. You need some flavor. I think Trump has the flavor. I don't think DeSantis has any. But, you know, Pratik, what were you going to say? So I was going to say, so Tyler even put on here is like Trump went to Wharton. And where I would argue is that with Trump, Everybody knew that he was elite from the get-go, but he also never tried to sell himself as the common man. People no, that he were did. just he the totally common does, man. Dude. He's no, all no, the time. No, he's no, like, no. I'm a regular guy. I, I don't, like you. No, Trump doesn't say Give that. Trump break. always Come talks on. about he's the greatest, he's the best dealer, he's the best businessman, he's one of he's the wealthiest He's a man of the people. people. But that's not saying that he does it that way, though. The people like him because they see him as one of them. But he doesn't sell himself as a common man. He sells himself as a billionaire. If Trump went out of his way to say from the get-go that he was a common man, he wouldn't receive that much hype that he did from to begin with. The reason why Trump caught fire was because Trump is a well-known, established personality that was like, you know, has done NBC TV shows. He was on The Apprentice. He hosted different pageants. He was a billionaire. He had all, he has, I mean, he's one of the most like, 
one of the largest hoteliers in the world. Like there are certain things about Trump that he never really had to talk about. It. If actually, if Trump was to just be like, you know, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this, then it that's what he did. He didn't really have to like, you know, try to sell downplay himself. And I do think that because he didn't downplay himself, that helped him. He basically just hyped himself up as being like the greatest human being alive. So people, on the other hand, were like, he is the greatest human being alive. He's like stands for me. He's one of us. And that's what helped Trump stand out in the long run. He's the, he's the president for the wealthy business people. And he's the president for the hippies that don't, or not hippies. He's the president for the rednecks that don't have any money. Like he's the president of a large group of diverse gr graph of people. And I think that's what makes Trump stand out in everything that Trump does. Pratik, I like your point about Trump being pro-diversity there. Uh, Tyler, what are your thoughts on that? Trump, he, like I said, he gets, to, he gets to play both sides of the aisle frequently. When he needs to be an everyman, he is. When he needs to be a billionaire, he is. He's a populist. He appeals to the people that are in front of him. And I think that's what he's really good at. That's and what so wins. far, I think that's what wins. And it's like we talk about... Really, what we're talking about here is winning. It's not about, is this the best person to be in charge? That's not necessarily how our election system works. It's who's going to win here. And who beats Biden? Looks like DeSantis right now. But how is he going to get past Trump? I don't see a way. But we'll see. This woke culture war continues. And we're actually seeing that, you know, rise, especially as of late with a bunch of the boycotts that have been going on. So, Nick, tell us about it. All right. So we've got terror in retail this week. Target loses billions in market cap. So Target has been celebrating Pride Month for more than a decade, but this year's collection has led to an increase in confrontations between customers and employees and incidents of Pride merchandise being thrown on the floor. This is according to Target spokesperson Kayla Castaneda. So Target, which rolled out its Pride collection at the start of May, is pulling some of its products from its stores after customer backlash. Now, Target offers more than 2,000 products related to the LGBT line, including clothing, books, music, and home furnishings. Uh, and the items also touch on gender-fluid mugs, queer all-year calendars, and books for children's age 2 to 8 titled Bye Bye Binary, Pride 123, and quote, I am not a girl, end quote. Um, while various Pride collection products are under review, the only ones that have actually been removed so far are the LGBTQ brand, uh, Abpralin, Abpralin, yeah. Oh, thank you, Pratik. Uh, which has come under scrutiny for its association with uh, British designer Eric Carnell. So Carnell's faced social media backlash for designing merchandise with images of pentagrams, horn skulls, and other satanic products on his private site. And then he was selling into Target. Funnily enough, with things like you know, like yeah, gay people are accepted everywhere, something to that effect. And they were like, no, this is too far. Ban this. Uh, so the company's shares dropped. 12.5% this week, resulting in an estimated $9 billion decrease in market value, according to Dow Jones Market Data Group. So Tyler and Pratik, what do you think about this conservative backlash online uh, against some of the target LGBT stuff in the stores? I think this is where I was discussing with the same thing with Ron DeSantis. In my opinion, it's not it's not about like what a company does. The company should have the right to decide what they want to do. If Target wants to, you know, promote a bunch of LGBTQ stuff, they have the right to do it. But it's also up to the people themselves to decide whether they want to purchase the product or not. Now, I don't think that government should get involved in any of that process, but I do think that people have the right to decide whether they like content or don't like content. But that's the name of the game in business. Whatever businesses do, they have the right to make whatever decision, or they should have the right to make whatever decision that they want to do. If they want to sell a certain product, they have the right to do it. Nobody should be forcing them to tell them that, oh, you shouldn't be able to sell this product. This product is wrong. But at the same time, that also leads you to backlash. If there are people in the country that don't like what you're selling, they don't have to buy your product. There's no one that can force them to buy your product. And that's going to be a problem that is always going to happen no matter what. You see MyPillow, that MyPillow guy on Fox News that always has his ad. People quit buying the MyPillow pillow because that guy was supporting Trump. It comes with the territory. 
when you do anything, when you support anyone, when you promote any type of product, it all falls into it where people can make the decision whether they want to buy their product or not. If people don't like what Target is doing, they're not forced to buy their product. My only issue is that when somebody like Ron DeSantis comes around and tells Target that you can't put these products out because we don't like you to do put these products out. Because then I think that's overreach. I do think that the company should have freedom of speech and the people should have freedom of speech. And if people don't want to buy a product, no one's forcing them to. They can literally turn off the TV. They can literally not go to Target because nobody's forcing them to go to Target. I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there, but I want to add a little more context for everyone in terms of like why these boycotts are occurring. So a few months ago, there, or a few weeks ago rather, maybe like two months ago, there was a boycott of Bud Light's brand um, owned by Anheuser-Busch, where essentially they had someone named Dylan Mulvaney, who was a transgender person um, who had her a face put on these uh, uh, Bud Light cans. There was an advertising campaign about it, and there was a huge backlash. It started primarily because Bud Light seemed to not know who their audience was. I don't think there are many LGBT or transgender people drinking Bud Light in the first place. So really the base of these Bud Light drinkers, maybe a lot of like these like rural people. I don't know. They're like, what? That doesn't represent us at all. What are you doing? This woke culture seems to be seeping into every business, regardless of whether it, it, it aligns with our values or not. So they saw it as a direct attack on their values. So there's a huge backlash. Um, usually these corporations won't apologize. They won't do anything about it. Usually it'll blow over. Specifically in Budweiser's case, they actually had some holding power and sales seemed to be down around 25%. Now, this is all fairly new because over the past few years, it's generally been the left who has been able to boycott, who's been able to ban, boycott, cancel, whatever you want to say, um, these different corporations. But now we're starting to see the right finally get, get together enough where they're doing it themselves. This is the first time they've been able, able to successfully boycott um, a company or brand in a very long time. Earlier in the 2000s, those, those, those Christian conservatives, they were doing the same thing. But we finally had the pendulum swing back so now the conservatives are the one that are trying to cancel people. So that was just a little background on why this Target one appeared. So in Target specifically, personally, I have no issue with them selling products. If people want to buy it, they should buy it. If they don't, they don't. Um, but obviously people that are conservative were basically saying, we should take this farther. We should extend this to win the culture war, essentially. And that's what they're doing here. Now, practically speaking, I don't think it's going to do much. Tar Target's a huge department store. Bud Light is like a, a single beer. It's easy to avoid a beer. But when I go to Target, I'm not going there to buy, you know, transgender swimwear or whatever. They have a million different things. I could buy whatever I want. Um, but I, does, I do think this speaks to the fact that conservatives are finally able to come together and coalesce and say, whatever this culture we're moving into, we don't like it. We don't stand for it. We're not going to deal with it anymore. And that's what I see happening here. Now, I know I've been going on for a little bit. I just want to mention one more thing. So why do we think all of this is happening? Well, um, if some of you may know about something called ESG investing, it's essentially environmental, social, and governance investing. A lesser part of ESG is something known as CEI, which is Corporate Equity Index, which is essentially pushing um, for LGBT uh, rights in these different companies. They have to abide by certain rules and policies to attain a certain score. Now, if they don't hit this certain score, the CEO may be docked in pay. They may lose board members. They may lose funding by a lot of these big banks that are pushing for this ESG. So when we see companies like Bud Light, see companies like Target pushing some of this LGBT stuff, and it might seem kind of random, I think it largely has to do with where the funding's coming from, from these big banks. You really have to follow the money if you really want to understand why these, these things are occurring. So that's all I really wanted to say there. I know I wanted a kind of a rant. Um, do you guys have any thoughts? No, it's been good. I think that kind of ties into, all right, here's, here's my soapbox for the day. All right, so I don't understand why there's a, a lot of what you're seeing online on Twitter. It's one, I think it's financially illiterate because a lot of the people are saying, oh, look, we've cl they're claiming this massive victory. They're like, oh, conservatives started boycotting Target. And in one week, they've dropped $10 billion. We've done such an incredible job. And it's like, no, investors were reacting to the last earnings report. It had nothing to do with this recent line of products. And now you're sort of claiming this false victory. With Bud Light, it makes sense because it was after the fact. You could clearly look at their earnings after they released the ad, see that earnings went down, that they had more losses. And it's like, oh, wow, this was the direct result of you getting this wrong. With Target, it's too early to tell. There is no causal factor here. And so if you're looking at the earnings of the last three months and saying that it's from the last week, 
that timeline does not overlap and it makes no sense. So that's number one. Number two, the swimwear stuff, which I've also seen Tyler. It's like, I don't get why people are so mad because online you'll see that a lot of these conservative groups, they're like, they're sexualizing kids. This should not be allowed. And yet, for example, the transgender swimwear stuff where you can basically like, if you're a child, tuck your penis into the bathing suit so it's not clearly visible, right? You know, why are you mad about that? If you're so worried about kids being sexualized, why are you mad that now you can no longer see children's penises? Like, well, that, let, let me take it. Can I ahead. take a devil's advocate here? So yeah. I think it has to do with the fact that they don't like children being what they would say is pressured into becoming, let's say, transgender, non-binary, simply because of a social contagion. Everyone else around you is doing it, so you're going to do it. And, you know, maybe that's not the best decision for you. And a lot of these conservatives, I'd say, are just more traditional people altogether. They don't like seeing people transition. That's just not something that they're comfortable with. So, you know, I kind of get where they're coming from. But at the same time, I personally have no issue with it. Yeah, that's fair. I I guess, again, on... I don't know. Part of it is just like, why are you so mad that you're not able to see a child's private parts? Like, this is but just it's so not, it's strange. It's not that. They but think it, men, men should it be is men and women way. should be women. I know and... that they wouldn't say it that way, but that's how it's coming off in a sense, which I just think is a little ironic. Um, and then the third thing, the sort of global conspiracy stuff, because this is where it all ties together, uh, is as far as BlackRock. It's like, oh, BlackRock, the Rothschilds, like all these corporations are controlling life. I've gone way too far into the target you know, hellhole that exists online. So I recommend that people don't do that because otherwise you're going to get bombarded with this stuff. But hey, I've seen it so much, I may as well address it. The ESG stuff, it's seen as like this global conspiracy stuff where there's a cabal of people like BlackRock, like others who are controlling the narrative all over the world. And the thing is, ESG started as a risk mitigation strategy for businesses. It's so that when things like the Keystone XL pipeline happen and you have major protests that derail a project, Businesses end up using ESG to reduce their risk exposure. And now it's come to the point, ironically, where by implementing certain ESG practices, they're actually increasing their risk exposure. And so that is what the current issue is, where it's like, in in a weird warped sense, BlackRock, as the financer says, if you go by these ESG principles, you'll have less risk of social backlash and you'll do better. We want you to adhere to this. And that these companies, by adhering to it, are risking more social backlash. So I just think that's, again, a a great irony in all of this. But Tyler, I see you're going to disagree. Well, to speak to that, so I have a quote. So in 2018, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, who was essentially seen as the founder of ESG, had a a letter titled um, A Sense of Purpose. and, And he's quoted as saying, society is demanding that companies, both public and private, serve a social purpose. To prosper over time, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society. He also let it be known that if a company doesn't engage with the community and have a sense of purpose, it will ultimately lose the license to operate from key stakeholders. He's saying, I'm going to remove funding unless you abide by the culture that we're setting. So that is a conspiracy. They're trying to, with incentives, push people towards a certain worldview. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think that right, is Right, because exactly they would lose happening. money. That's the risk no, perception. No, no, no. It's not that they... But here's the thing. No, they but that's what it is, money. Tyler. It's risk. You're going to lose <laughs> money either way. That's the thing. We, like, saying, I, I hear saying, what you're saying, but the social license to, to operate... Yeah, but the social license to operate, we're, we're it's not the bank saying, oh, you need to do... It's not the bank that's coming up with said. that stuff. It's the bank saying, this is what most people support. And if you don't support, there's there's going to be backlash. For example, like Rio Tinto gets this a lot. Rio Tinto is a big mining company. And basically, they've had issues with their mines where it's like, oh, like think of Nike and the sweatshop stuff. Like there are all these things that come up. And so BlackRock and others, like you pointed out, came up with State these frameworks to basically say, look, hey, don't employ kids in child slave labor conditions, and you're not going to have the backlash that you're seeing. Now, LGBT is a much smaller example of that, and now we have the new North Face ad. But I just wanted to say it's not like you're right that the banks are pressuring them to have these policies, but the reason the banks care isn't because of some altruistic social sense. The bank's perspective on that goes back to um, triple bottom line, all that stuff, where I think that was Elkington um, a couple decades ago, but... In any case, it's moving away from the Milton Friedman shareholder capitalism and more to the stakeholder capitalism like Jamie Dimon will espouse it, where it's like, okay, again, the social license to operate is just 
reducing your risk from social backlash where people are going to interrupt your business and you're going to lose money. And therefore, the banks don't want to give you money if you're going to expose yourself to this social risk. And that's why they put those requirements into place. It's not for moral reasons. It's because they don't want to lose money. But I think it's both because I, I just think it seems odd where it's only pointed in one direction. Is like you're telling people this is um, by what he said. How it, it's a positive contribution to society. Who's dictating what a positive contribution to society is? And whose voice are they including in that? Because it only seems to ever go one way. So maybe, the, maybe they, they're, they're espousing that it's for financial reasons, but from an optics perspective, it looks like there is a clear sense of direction here. They're directing companies. They're incentivizing CEOs to take certain actions based off their ideas of what is a positive contribution to society. That's right. really and, dangerous. And that's the backlash, like which that. is that if businesses already operate within the rules set by governments, why do you need to do more? And that's the uh, response to that. And I think it's a very fair response. It's like, you're already abiding by the rules. Why do it? ESG investing has taken over, though. It's, it's another thing where you will not get funding as a company unless you're abiding by these principles. So you're forced into this box. You have no way to get around it. You can't get money without it because all the big banks in the world are forcing you to go down this road. Well, yeah. I don't know how and that's And it's for not... financial reasons. I, my <laughs> I, argument I is that it's not for morals. Okay, well, I, regardless, it's wrong. Regardless of what reason, and Joe Biden actually recently, what, shot down, I don't know if it's a bill or something to do with like ESG investing, getting rid of it altogether because people are saying it's going to screw up our pension funds and, and all that. Um, look, we can we can talk about this another day. Yeah, I personally fair. think there is only, they seem to only say that you're positively contributing to society if you believe one worldview. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I don't think that's productive for financial health. If you're Target and you're trying to sell to everyone, you're instantly alienating half the population because they don't agree with what your idea of a positive contribution is to society. How is that profitable? That makes no sense to me. Yeah, Anyways, Pratik, what we were got... you going to say? I feel like we froze Pratik <laughs> out of this conversation. <laughs> um, so one thing North I want to say is that um, before we go to the North Face, I just want to make sure that people know what woke means. So this is one of those big phrases that, you know, especially for the older listeners that we have in our audience, like maybe they don't don't really necessarily know what woke means. They've just heard a lot of woke and this is woke and this is anti-woke. So I'm going to refer back to a Hill story. There was a poll done on March, uh, March 3rd to 5th of 2023, and it talks a little bit about wokeism. So a majority of Americans in a poll have a positive association with the term woke. Understanding it is to mean to be informed, educated on, and aware of social injustice. So the USA Today Ipsos poll released on Wednesday, that was probably that March 2nd or 3rd of that time, found that 56% of people agreed with the more positive definition, while 39% had a negative association with the word and understood it to mean to be overly politically correct and police others' words. So the point of with this stuff is, however, Americans in the poll are divided on whether they consider it to be an insult to be described as woke, with 40% calling it an insult and 32% calling it a compliment. So both with the word woke, it's kind of like you being politically correct, you wanting to say that something is the way it should be, and you're referring to all these different social and gender, you know, challenges that have happened over the past many years, and you're trying to put that in the limelight. So you're trying to address all these things that have been done wrong in the past, and you're trying to take an extra initiative to lay it out to in terms of culture so that we become more accepting of things that had been and, you know, seen as being like a taboo in the past. That's basically the whole concept of woke. Did that make sense? Did I feel like I kind of explained woke, but I feel like I didn't do a fantastic job either. Yeah, it's um, usually just associated with um, people who at whatever time, well, now because it changes like every couple of years, right? As far as like yeah. what the main issues are, but it's usually like being progressive on racial, uh, sexual identity, religious, like, that's that's usually what woke is. Also, there's a big part of it that's, you know, working class conscious. So there's also a big part of the woke movement that hates billionaires and millionaires and rich people in general. And in a weird way, like sort of this isn't weird necessarily, but there's almost like this fetish fetish <laughs> fetishization of low income people that occurs within the woke movement. And where it's like if it's almost to the point where like if you're not a minority and poor, like 
being a minority and poor is seen as like a virtue in the system. And if you are not a minority and you're not poor or either or, it's sort of seen like you are a public enemy in some way and contributing to oppressing other people, which isn't totally accurate 100% of the time. But like we've talked about with the pendulum swinging back where Tyler mentioned, you know, back in the day, it used to be very hardcore religious conservatives who would say, oh, you're not allowed to swear on TV. You're not allowed to do all these things. We're going to police how you behave socially. Now it's swung back the other way. And this is sort of a continuation of that. Yeah, uh, I, I will say, though, and this is a problem I have with like social. I know woke people aren't socialists, but you were talking about like hatred of poor people, love of, uh, hatred of rich people, love of poor people. I think it has more to do with that uh, hatred of the rich than it does with the like of the poor. They don't actually want to support the poor. They just hate the fact that they're rich people. They don't want rich people to exist. And the irony and I think about a, really a lot of the woke. Idea. The really big woke people are the wealthiest of the wealthiest people in society. That's just what makes it the most ironic thing of all time. The people it, it that are ironic. promoting these yeah. things, like Target, for example, big companies, Disney. These are all companies that are huge. They're not small companies. These are like the biggest of the biggest company. If you look at somebody like Carl Icahn, that guy's a billionaire. Like Bob Iger billionaire these are people that are like you know these are not people that are like regular basic people and these are like big elements of what the woke movement is about the way you have to look at it is if you watch a disney movie like let's say we watch something like a, we watch thor right the new thor movie that came out and there it has like the two rock men that are kissing and they're trying to normalize it saying that you know it's normal we should be promoting you know lgbt culture and all this stuff and that's fine regardless of whatever side you guys are you know stand by but the point is, is that because you depict all these different things, it normalizes it. It normalizes it for kids. And this is what a lot of the people that are anti-woke hate with a passion. They don't want their kids to be like, you know, to see it as normal. As that, yeah, and to be indoctrinated in this new philosophy that is part of the progressive side that, you know, it's okay to have, you know, to become transgender at six. That's not a problem. I mean, that's normal. They, they want, whatever, whatever the issue is. Before, like I would argue, things like gay marriage. 20 years ago, things like gay marriage were seen as taboo. Now in our modern day society, if somebody is gay, you're not looking at them in a different way. You're just like, oh yeah, they're just gay. I mean, they're just, that's their, they just like men. But that has become normalized over that period of time. That's part of the end. That's part of the woke movement. For 20 years of that time period, they normalized the fact that it's okay to be gay. And I'm not saying whether that's right or wrong. What I'm saying is that is an element of what being woke and, you know, the whole process of wokeness has created. Before it was things like, you know, Starbucks providing you having the LGBT flag on the cups to make sure that, you know, you're starting to promote, you know, that, you know, you're affiliating LGBT and being okay with being LGBT when you go to Starbucks. There's a lot of different things like that and elements like that. And that's part of what a lot of Republicans that are on the DeSantis train really don't like. And it's not necessarily saying that, you know, there's majority one way or another way. I think back in that time period, there may have been more people that were on the woke train. But I think now that pendulum has shifted where you have a lot more people that may be on the side that, you know, we shouldn't, um, you know, be promoting all this different stuff. And I think a lot of that stuff has started when it deals with transgender stuff dealing with kids. When it deals with kids surgeries and then, you know, whenever certain kids are certain age, you know, them being allowed to have a surgery. That stuff has kind of promoted this whole movement to the opposite direction. And I do think that some of this stuff is going to influence the general election. This is just things that are actually political without ever being political. But it's part of the whole like conscious of how people think. Whenever we were in school, it was like more normal to be Democrat. Like, you know, like if somebody was like, I'm a conservative that is like not as opposed to gay marriage because it goes against my religion or I'm opposed to abortion because I don't think that is right for you to for anybody to just willy nilly kill a baby in a womb. All of that stuff became like you're like, man, some, you can't believe that when you're in college. That's just wrong. You need to be on the other side. Those people are the people that we're trying to move against. But there wasn't anything that actually promoted that. That was just the cultural awareness of the time. And that was dealing with a lot of the stuff that was what we term woke. So I just think that that's the best way to describe this whole situation. Y'all had your moment, so I had to give my rant too. No, it was a good moment. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I actually, I don't like the term woke. It's too much of an umbrella term and it can mean too many different things. Yeah. But I think the word the, the wokeness is used as a weapon um, more than it should be. People will say you have to believe this because it's woke without actually having to justify what it is. And it's actually a circular argument because if you're truly accepting, you actually have to be accepting of the people that disagree with you, which would should be woke, but it's not woke. It's just like a weird mindfuck kind of thing. Um, but yeah, quick comment about the, uh, I wanted to speak to you, Nick. You were talking about how uh, the Republicans or conservatives were making like sophist arguments regarding the, the market cap loss of Target. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's because people justify the position before, they justify their position and come up with an argument for it rather than coming up with an argument to justify their position. And I think the exact same thing happens with the woke people. You don't actually need an argument to justify it because it's justified by the ideology itself with that base assumption being that ideology. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. Also, one thing is just if you're not too familiar with the stock market and you see that a stock is down in a week and you see that there was also another event that happened that week, you're like, oh, this is a direct result. But the main point I was trying to make there again is like, for example, if you had, because companies report, public companies are required to report their quarterly earnings. If you had December, January, and February, you release that data. And then all of a sudden people say, oh, look, like your stock price went down because of this report. It's like, okay, that was for December, January, and February. But then they attribute it to something that happened in May. Like that doesn't make any sense because it's totally out of the reporting period. So like, yes, there is hype. Yes, there are things that are non-financials that can influence stocks. We all saw that with GameStop, for example. Like nothing was changing about the core aspect of GameStop and the stores and their sales and how they were doing. But clearly, the stock price moved independent of that. And so, like, there are other things that can happen for sure. But, yeah, I just, uh, that was my little soapbox because I keep seeing, like, oh, you know, they've lost $10 billion. And it's like, really? Have they? Yeah. <laughs> I don't and think so. I, I just put this in chat. But a, qu a common quote in the market is, like, short term, it's a voting machine. It's irrational, the market. But long term, it's a scale. Um, real success will actually show itself long term. So I think you're right. Right, You can't pay attention to the day-to-day -day of stocks. It's kind of not going to help you And for all. real success, let's take a look at world leaders because we've talked a lot on the show about what we think and obviously what folks in the United States think. But what do other leaders outside of the United States, like Germany, UK, other people, like what do other people in the world think of the presidential candidates running in the United States? Pratik? So world leaders have begun to pick favorites in America's 2024 presidential election. So the leaders around the globe have begun to choose which president they like the most. Um, both unprecedented and unorthodox, world leaders have begun to pick their favorites to win the 2024 president presidential election. So German Chancellor Olaf Scholz on Monday said he prefers U.S. President Joe Biden to be to his predecessor Donald Trump and hoped Biden would be reelected for a second term in office. Scholz is the current German chancellor that succeeded Angela Merkel, who served the nation from November 2005 to December 2021. I call her a dictator, but that's just me. Um, on the other <laughs> side, Hungary's nationalist Prime Minister Viktor Orban publicly declared that he'd be backing Donald Trump to win next year's U.S. election and make a return to the White House. Orban has served as the Hungary's leader between 1998 and 2002 and returned to the job in 2010. With 17 years under his belt, a.k.a. also a dictator. Um, he is now Europe's longest-serving prime <laughs> minister and has been widely regard as the regarded as the most pro-Kremlin pro leader of the 27 nations of the European Union. And then we got Mexican president Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador hates Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with a passion. On Thursday, he urged, he urged Hispanic people in Florida not to back the governor one day after he announced his bid for the White House. All of his playing politics with migrants was because he would he wanted to be the Republican Party candidate. Lopez Obrador said during a news conference translated by Reuters, Reuters, I hope the Hispanics of Florida wake up and don't give him a single vote. The governor won his 2022 re-election bid, receiving 58% of the Latino vote in Florida, according to the NBC News exit poll. So, Nick and Neller, what are your thoughts on world leaders trying to show who they like? Well, dude, that's one funny thing, I think, is for DeSantis, I feel like Florida Republican politics have played so much to the Cuban base in the in the state. And now I'm just really curious how it's going to go in the future, because like you can keep going on with the Cuban stuff. But once you get like more and more decades away from everything that was going on with Cuba, 
I, like, are you still going to, like, they're, they're stick still by that? As, like, that's There's still the... a lot of conservative Cubans uh, no, in Florida. No, there are a lot of conservative, but I think it's part of it is, like, that's all we've heard about. And so I just wish there was more of a conversation around other Latinos in Florida who are conservative and who are voting for DeSantis. 58%, like, sure, that's not the 90% plus that the black community voted for it's someone like Barack Obama. Portion, but, like, 58% is still in the majority of people voting for DeSantis, who has a Latino last name. Like it's, it, it makes sense uh, on that front, but also it's like the fundamental just Republican leanings. I think one thing that people in this country get wrong on the progressive side is that they all tend to assume that Hispanic immigrants coming to the country are somehow all liberal. Like that's not the case at all. That's not how it is. And even people who are coming here, it's like they don't love the idea of, you know, oh, completely open borders, you know, all that stuff, which I don't think is actually happening, but I'm, I'm open to being proved wrong on that. But it's like, I just think that there's a lot of, you know, from the Mexican president here, it's like this assumption of, I don't know, it's like, these people are clearly voting for DeSantis. I don't know why they wouldn't. Like, sure, there's this policy, and that's clearly going to make an impact. But how is this like that different from the rhetoric he's had over the past, like, 10 years or so like it's, I think it's not I think it's a lot of different things so one thing I wanted to correct Nick on so Ron DeSantis isn't lit doesn't have a Latino last name he has an Italian last name he was born in Southern bro he's family. Italian he's from Southern no Italy. way so he's no one way. of Tyler's people he's but Italian just wanted to yeah it says that his um all all of his great-grandparents were born in Southern Italy and immigrated to the United States during the Italian you look at that oh, I wonder where my, Hold on. I might be related point, to him <laughs> My point with uh, Ron DeSantis is also that he does, he keeps talking about his woke stuff. He doesn't talk about all this other stuff that he's done. Ron DeSantis has done a lot of things for all these different groups of people too. But all he talks about is his woke culture warrior, you know, trying to fight battles that really, you know, that have always existed but have never really been solved, that kind of stuff. But he has done a lot of things in terms of like, you know, other policies that he's enacted, especially when it deals with things like immigration. He I mean, he sought to ban sanctuary cities and all this stuff in Florida. But a lot of that stuff is seen as a success within the Latino community. There is a large branch of Latinos that are very different from state to state. California Latinos are very different from Florida Latinos. Florida point. Latinos do not like illegal immigration. California Latinos are more sympathetic towards illegal immigration. That doesn't necessarily mean one is better than the other. It just means that there's different elements when it deals with immigration. Texas you said that way better than mix. me, Pratik. That's what I was yeah. trying to say. That's like yeah. the Latino community is not like one single voting block that all exactly. thinks the same way about immigration. Like that's not how it is. And even though you hear a lot about the Cuban immigrants in Florida, I just wish we heard a little bit more yeah. about other communities in Florida because I don't know. Correct. I feel like that's not covered at all. And you, again, you said what I was trying to say, but way better and with way more details. So thank you. And with all this said, uh, notice how we haven't given any credence to any of these foreign leaders' opinions because fuck them all. We're in the U.S. And we vote for our own president. We too. couldn't care less what you think. And by the way, Germany wanting basically a dead guy to be our president, that's a red flag to me. I don't like the fact that leaders are saying who they like, who they want. I honestly think there's a different, there's a lot of different elements of this. Maybe it's just too much of my own political theory coming into this, but all these people are going to see each other when they deal, when they see each other in the UN. These leaders see each other, see each other constantly. Like they see each other in the UN, they'll see each other in the World Trade Organization. If GF's a Democrat, they're going to be at the G7 meeting. They're going to be seeing each other constantly. So the problem is, is that whenever, or NATO, same thing. Problem is that whenever you start dictating you like this person or this other person, it causes rifts. Don't we remember, this is not that long ago, when all these leaders in Europe were saying that they supported Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump? And how did that pan out? Do you think Donald Trump and Angela Merkel had a great relationship within her dictatorship years in Germany when he was the, dic when he was the president here? No. That didn't work out well. That didn't work out. Donald Trump didn't have a good relationship with David Cameron because David Cameron also said that he would support Hillary Clinton in that election. All of that stuff does matter. With Vladimir Putin, Vladimir Putin didn't say that he would support Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Hence, Donald Trump had a decent relationship with Vladimir Putin. What happens whenever Joe Biden comes around? Joe Biden has a really bad relationship with Vladimir Putin and it's to the point that we're fighting a war right now in Ukraine. 
I mean, I'm not saying that one leads to another and this is a direct result or anything, but I am saying that, you know, there is a potential chance that if we had a leadership in our, you know, if we had some leadership in the US that was a little bit, you know, didn't wasn't as hostile to Russia, maybe some of this stuff wouldn't have lasted for as long as it has. We don't know the answer to this question. And I don't, and I, when you go into politics and all this stuff, and I'm not trying to debate Ukraine, but my point is that leaders shouldn't be talking about what people they like more and what people they don't like. It has nothing to do with them. If Mexico elects some random dude, if America was like, we want this one guy to be here, what difference does it make to us? And should we have any role in that? Because we're not dictating who is becoming elected as president. But it's in unavoidable. It's like it's like the prom king and queen. The U.S. is think, the shining star, and everyone wants to know who's going to win prom king. And that's I just what it think is. it's I think it's we're going back to the times that we hated as Americans. Whenever you know, I mean, I'm a neocon, right? The problem that everybody has with neocons is neocons like to go into everybody else's business and tell them that they want to have this leader and this leader and this leader. And if somebody else that gets elected is mo pro pro on the other side, at the time whenever it was Eisenhower, Truman, and JFK, that era, it was about oh, well, this person is more pro Soviet and this person's more pro U.S. Then we basically controlled everything that was going on in South America when they had all these new dictators pop up because we didn't like them. You you know, not being for us or not being in support of what we're doing. When you get into that process, we're basically doing the same thing that these people complained about for years. The irony about it is that right now, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are not necessarily neocons. They're not really realist people. Donald Trump is like who you can, you, there's Democrats that will call Donald Trump an isolationist in foreign policy. And then there's going to be other Democrats that are going to be like, oh, he wasn't an isolationist. He did this, this, and this. But that's what they do. But I do think Donald Trump and Joe Biden are not your hardcore, like, we need to get involved in every country around the world and we need to start attacking left, right, and center. Joe Biden left Afghanistan and that was a disaster. And we took so long to get involved in Ukraine. I mean, if it was any other Rep Democrat president like Hillary Clinton or Obama, we would have joined the Ukraine situation on day one. It took Obama, it took Biden like two months. My point is, is that when you start getting involved in picking favorites in world policy, it just causes there to become more problems in the end. And you're trying, you're picking favorites over picking other people. And then that causes there to be a whole new foreign policy that we need to look into. Because being an ally of Germany doesn't mean anything if Donald Trump gets elected as president because Olaf Scholz decided to be on the Biden train. So Pratik, I agree with your point that we should not do so much on the international side of picking who we like and who we don't like because like you're saying we're going to have to get along with the country once they're whoever's in power we're going to have yeah. to get along with them right but at the same time a lot of this drives domestic politics so donald trump is very unpopular in europe and so for all the european politicians to say that they don't like trump that actually speaks to their base of voters and gets them more votes so I think there is that interplay the same way, for example, if the United States really came out hard against China, like we're doing that for our domestic audience. We're not doing that for, you know, Biden That's to fair. meet with Xi and for them to, you know, really butt heads together. It's more like Biden and Trump and other people like Trump when he was talking to the American people and saying, oh, China's ripping us off. That's not like. That's more just for the domestic base. So I agree with you that it, it's it's not smart to do that sort of stuff if you have to get along with the other country. Right. But at the same time, like in a way, you're drumming up your own support domestically, which then gives you the the ability even to do that international stuff and to be in office in the first place. So there is like this overlap. It's the same way, like, for example, like why the United States decided to not get involved with World War II off the bat. Like even though in the White House, we were like, oh, Let's get involved with World War II. It was still like the American people didn't want to do anything until Pearl Har Harbor happened. And if it didn't happen, there are all these Americans that didn't want us to get involved in the war. And so it's like we stayed out of it because of the domestic audience. And so even though like internationally, it probably would have been better That's for the fair. U.S. to get involved earlier. Like, I don't know. Speaking of our shining star candidates coming out of the woodwork, Mike Pence and Nikki Haley take a page <laughs> from Donald Trump's playbook as another one joins the crowded pack. So since Trump announced on CNN, everyone is following suit to begin their campaign on the liberal-leaning network that Trump calls fake news, of course, CNN. 
Nikki Haley will participate in a live CNN presidential town hall next month in Iowa. CNN anchor Jake Tapper will moderate the event, which will air at 8 p.m. Eastern time on June 4th. This will be followed by another town hall with former Vice President Mike Pence, our guy, that will be moderated by CNN's Dana Bash on Wednesday, June 7th. Also, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum is thinking about joining the 2024 Republican presidential race as well. So any comments on that, guys? So why Should I we unironically become yeah. a pro Mike Pence show? Is that who we should pick? Mike Pence all the way. I think I think why I call these people like weird is that they know that the more and more people that join the party, it makes it harder for them to beat Trump. They all know that Donald Trump is winning like 60% of the vote right now. And the reason why he's winning 60% of the vote is because everyone's mom, dad, and sister wants to join the race. Like, there's just too many people in this race at this point. You got nine almost. Like, nine that are potential hopefuls. Then you got Mike Pence that is, like, dilly-dallying on whether he wants to run or not. And he's basically laid out his foundation that he wants to run. And ever since he's been planning to run, his voting numbers have gone down. Then you got Nikki Haley, who now, with Tim Scott joining the race, you got two South Carolinians. That's not necessarily going to help anybody's cause. And then you got this, like, new guy, Doug Burgum, who I've never heard of in my life, that's like, yo, I'm going to throw North Dakota and put them in politics, in the political landscape, because I want to show that I'm better than Donald Trump and that I can win. None of these people can win. They all have these weird conceptions in their head. And the more and more people that join the race, the higher the probability that Donald Trump doesn't even enter the debate. And the even higher probability that, what is his name, Ron DeSantis doesn't actually have an ability or a chance to beat Donald Trump. If all these people quit today and it was just a two-man race between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, then Ron DeSantis would have a shot. But the longer and longer they take, the harder and harder it is for Ron DeSantis to have a shot. I would say two things. One, for everyone joining the race, they're doing it maybe not only to win the presidency, maybe to win the presidency in the future, but to build their personal brand as politicians. Because you get on that national debate stage. If you're running for president and you take a jab at Trump, that could be national news. Whereas if you weren't running at all, that wouldn't go anywhere. So I think in terms of why people are running, it's probably for personal reasons. And we are a year and a half out. We have to remember that. A lot can change. I'm not saying things are going to flip automatically, but Things happen. Maybe Joe Biden has a big screw up in office and that changes the dynamic and Trump can obviously beat him. Maybe uh, someone that's running against Trump, maybe it's DeSantis, maybe it's Mike Pence comes out and he says something and it really appeals to a lot of people and it really flips the tide there. So I think we're too far out to really say for sure what's going on. Um, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not concerned that there are so many people in the race. I think it's normal. I think it's healthy to have a larger uh, group of people in the discussion. But if you're a political strategist like yourself going, we need these numbers. If we don't get these numbers, we won't win. Yeah, you're going to be upset with the current landscape. But I think it's, it was pretty predictable that this was going to be happening. One thing I would say is that Nick was saying, are we a Mike Pence supporting you know, group if we had to support a Republican? I think we're more of a Nikki Haley supporting group because we don't like a lot of old people to run. Just because you love Nikki Haley, <laughs> don't, push, don't project that onto us. Say, I critique, love Nikki Haley. <laughs> Definitely. No, but it's because, you know, she doesn't want, she wants that mental acuity test and she want, doesn't want like 90 year olds to be president. I mean, it. it's a solid platform, but it is not going to win when 90% of the people that vote are all like over 65. I was about like, to say. I mean, like, it's kind of like a losing cause at that point. All right. And so as we start wrapping up, what better topic to touch on briefly than the debt ceiling? So as we all know, the Republicans and Democrats cannot agree on whether or not they should raise the debt ceiling for the country. Now, Republicans have some demands, Democrats have their demands, and they're not able to meet in the middle. Um, one thing, though, that is nice for the country is that they've agreed to extend the debt ceiling um, when the proposal or agreement by a week. So we're going to have until June 5th for when the defaults would end up happening if we are not able to raise the debt ceiling. And so I, on the one hand, I just wanted to say, I think it's funny that they're like, oh my God, we have this crisis. It's coming right at us. We have to act. And then they just extend the decision by like a week. <laughs> I think like, how do you do that? I'm just wondering what the mechanics are of that. Where you're like, oh, you know what? We can just ignore this actually. It's not that big of a deal. We'll just give it another week. Um, but clearly this is a very serious topic. You know, Biden is saying that he has some optimism, but the Republicans are saying, look, Biden, 
isn't meeting us where we want. And then the Democrats don't like Biden because he's trying to work with the Republicans. So there's this flurry of activity in the final hours trying to avert this crisis. Um, but Pratik and Tyler, any thoughts on this? Otherwise, I think it would be great to do the Hunter Biden story and then close it out. Yeah. Biden is really stuck between a rock and a hard place. Like, there's no good option here. And the Republicans are drawing this out because they know it's going to impact Biden, possibly, in the election. So why wouldn't you if you're a Republican? I am, I'm fairly confident they will be getting a deal done. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. Pratik? Okay, so I mean, I don't have much opinions. I've already said this before, like this is regular politics and this is what happens and no one's ever happy. And then they drag it out for two more weeks. And then like a month later, everybody forgets that any of this stuff ever happened. And then yeah, we just go back to regular politics. Um, but speaking of something that nobody ever forgets is Hunter Biden. Um, the reason I bring this up is I've been on been to Planet Fitness a few times this week. And like the three days that I've been there, the same story has been on Fox News on their headline because they I can't read hear anything because the volume is off in Planet Fitness, which is talking about Hunter Biden and this IRS supervisory agent Gary Shapley who has testified to Congress. So Hunter arrows off another scandal. IRS supervisor agent Gary Shapley testified before Congress for about six hours discussing an alleged cover-up in the criminal investigation of Hunter Biden. Shapley, who supervised the tax fraud probe of Hunter Biden, claimed that prosecutors were delaying the five-year-old case. While tax secrecy laws prevented Shapley from publicly revealing details, he shared information with Congress under legal protection. The House Ways, Means, and, uh, House Ways and Means Committee provided equal time to both Democratic and Republican staff to question Shapley, although key exchanges has not made, been made public yet. Shapley's legal team stated that he answered all 12 all questions from both sides. During the testimony, the IRS removed Shapley and 12 subordinates from the case, allegedly as a form of retribution ordered by the Justice Department. Another whistleblower, the primary case agent on the investigation, also emerged and expressed frustration with prosecutors' conduct. The FBI team investigating Hunter Biden is reportedly disappointed with the lack of charges against him. The case involves allegations of influence peddling and financial dealings in foreign ventures during and after Joe Biden's vice presidency. So with Hunter Biden, I feel like any more scandals that come out about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden could have murdered 15 people and then at the end of the day, nobody will care. Because Democrats are not ever going to hear anything about Hunter Biden is never going to influence anything in the polls. And there's not going to be anyone new that enters the race against President Joe Biden from the Democratic side. So that's where I'd sum it up. Nick, you got any thoughts on the Hunter shooting off more arrows? No, look, I think he should just lock himself in a wooden cabin and not come out for a couple of years. Like, I really think that would have been best for the country and for the Biden family overall. The man is a total train wreck. I really hope that he gets it together at some point. But that point is not today. Tyler? Yeah, just just Uber Eats some crack and some prostitutes, and then you're good in that cabin. <laughs> no. But with that, let's move on to our final stories. Um, we got a few gaffes for you today, just a little brevity for the situation. We have MTG and her chapstick saga. So House Republicans took a, a break from a closed-door meeting to hold an auction led by Rep. Aaron Bean, where Speaker Kevin McCarthy used cherry chapstick was sold to raise campaign funds. Rep. Marjorie Taylor Greene offered $100,000 for the, the used chapstick, securing a dinner with McCarthy and donors to support Republican efforts in the 2024 elections. The auction includes bids from Rep. Kathy McMorris-Rogers, Stephanie Bice, and Jason Smith, aiming to boost the party's majority and defeat Democrats. Political reported the event highlighting the fundraising fundraising efforts within the GOP. Just kind of a funny moment. Uh, MTG spending $100,000 to get some time with Kevin McCarthy. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, it's ironic. Like, they're on the same side, and yet she's paying all this money for access. Does it Just walk down the hall, Marjorie. Like, and if anything, it's like, why couldn't they auction off something better? Like, why would they auction his used chapstick? Like, who wants for $100, that? $100,000. Like, do, do something else. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Critique. Did you like they use it right before? He's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> look at me using the chips. Yeah, instead of instead of signing the debt ceiling, he's gonna put the chapstick on and then kiss the piece of paper as a signature. This is why they can't you can't figure out Cherry the debt chapstick. ceiling talks is they're too busy selling chapstick. This is what's going on in Congress right now. And it's very specific that this $100,000 chapstick was cherry used chapstick by um, Speaker McCarthy. It's very specific. Yep. 
the title of this chapstick. So just Kevin wanted likes to put the that fruity in there. chapsticks. Pratik, you're yeah. not surprised that there's not criminal proceedings given that it's over a hundred thousand dollars. No, because it has to meet the hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Oh, okay, okay. You got you got twenty thousand dollars more. Millions of dollars price. don't matter. Only a hundred and twenty thousand to a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Fifty thousand dollars is what matters to the public. That's that's when it's news. Until then, I mean, it's just not meeting that threshold. Tyler, you know what's meeting that threshold. I want to it's tell you about a, it's Carrie a sweet Lake. Spot. Yes, Carrie Lake. So we got Carrie Lake takes a quack at DeSantis. This is our final story. So we have Carrie Lake, a devoted Trump supporter and the same candidate who couldn't secure a win in the 2022 Arizona gubernatorial race, took a playful jab at Governor Ron DeSantis. She boldly declared that DeSantis doesn't stand a chance against former President Donald Trump because he can't even defeat Donald Duck. Stay tuned to see if DeSantis can recover from this hilarious blow and quack his way back into the spotlight. Can so I just, just say, a little, like, yeah. for DeSantis, when he says, like, the Republican Party is infected by losers, Carrie Lake is a loser. She's a sore loser at that. She lost the election. She went to court month after month, week after week, saying that it was stolen from her. And she lost every single court case in Arizona to the point where they actually ended up fining her because she's just wasting the court's time. I don't think that's ever really happened to a political candidate where your team is literally getting fined for just like filing these frivolous lawsuits and then getting them thrown out of the court. Like, it's just incredible to me that she's remaining in the spotlight. And sure, she was a newscaster, okay? It's not like she's a stranger from any sort of, you know, televised events. Like, she's a personality. But it's just funny to me that she's like, oh, it was all rigged. Like, she is such a diehard Trump supporter and is riding so hard on his coattails. And yet, like, she didn't win. Like, if she had won, maybe this would be an impactful story. It's like, oh, wow, Carrie Lake, who lost her own state, is now making fun of DeSantis. Like, DeSantis at least won. Carrie Lake lost. And not only did she lose, she lost badly. So, just sad all around. I don't I like bet, Carrie I Lake, bet. if you can't tell. I think very little of her. And my opinion is becoming less day by day. I have a question to Nick. It's a very important question. Do you think that DeSantis can quack his way back to the top? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Maybe if he actually let me not use any crude language here, but I think that if he shows the mouse who's boss, I think he'll do well. Like as much as we can say that, oh, like him going against that business, it, it's bad. Like Pratik, for you as a business owner, you don't like the fact that he's going after yeah, Disney. I don't. That's very I understandable. It. But I think if DeSantis is able to have his way with the with the duck, I mean, the mouse always gets the last laugh. And so if he's actually able to triumph over Disney in this whole you know spat that they're having. I honestly think that would be pretty impressive where it's like, wow, Ron DeSantis could actually go toe to toe with Disney, which is a giant company, which has a lot of influence. And so if anything, I do think that would be impressive. Like, honestly, How, you said have his way with the duck. You can't say gay, man. Don't say gay. But anyway, I, I just said duck, dude. I mean, Donald, he's dressed up in that sailor's outfit. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> all right and with that guys thank you all for tuning in please follow share the podcast we really appreciate it and we will catch you next week as always take care